Hi, and welcome to The Mean. I'm Ryan Huber, and joining me as always is Nicholas Sagraves. Hey, Nick. Hey, Ryan. Today, we are not going to talk about mass shootings. We're not going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about parody. We'll define that in a little bit, but today is episode 32 of The Mean, and we're going to talk about parody and, and its multiple forms in our society today. But first and foremost, Nick, what role has parody played in your life? Like, why is it something that you'd want to talk about on a podcast? Um, I think it has a lot to do with what we talked about kind of in the drag queen episode. Yeah. Um, parody, like, offers a space to critique and discuss maybe controversial issues or bring to light issues that seem very commonplace that you yeah. don't even notice it. And it kind of like highlights it. Yeah. I think that second part, that second point is um, the one that's important for me is we walk around and we take things for granted. And a lot of us, you know, we don't realize that we live in echo chambers, whether those are political or religious or cultural. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden we realize, oh, like people are making fun of this. Like, why are people making fun of this? And there are a few different levels of comedy and making fun of things. My dog's barking in the background, by the way. Um, and apparently my wife doesn't care at all. Um, <laughs> and just bark, bark, bark. Uh, one of them is just like, that's stupid. This is stupid. Can everybody see how stupid that is? That's like the elementary school, like when something's weird to you, when you think it's not normal, when you want everyone to know that you're normal. And then there's like more sophisticated versions of just mocking something because we all know that this thing is stupid or bad or wrong. And then there's like the more subtle versions of parody that point out to audiences that agree with something or think that something is good or think that something it just is normal they point out things about it which that audience may be aware of but not be fully aware of and that's why i appreciate parody because true parody and i think a lot of good comedy tells a group of people that something that they are familiar with there are elements of it that they're not even fully aware of. And some of them might be really disturbing to them if they actually took some time to think about it. And I'll give you an example. Mm. <clears throat> For years and years and years, I've been a huge Saturday Night Live fan. Um, I love their commercial parodies. I love some of their political parodies. I think the height of those for me was the 2000 election between Al Gore and George W. Bush where Daryl Hammond played Al Gore and Will Ferrell played George W. Bush. It was just, I think, about as good as political parody can be. Mm. And over the years, I've watched, in particular, Weekend Update become... It's... I don't want to be one of those old people that's like, SNL used to be funny when I was young. Now it's not. That just means that you don't get the culture. But there's something that's happened in the last few years, especially in the transition from Seth Meyers to Colin... Jost as head writer um, in, in that in that space and in the weekend update segment, the parody basically is only funny if you agree with their political point of view. Now, mm-hmm. it's not it, it's not really funny to the people 
that they're talking about. And so I think the real, the level of comedy has gone down and we can talk about the political reasons for that later if we want to, but essentially in the last, the season finale of SNL, Fred Armisen came on, did a really great parody of a one man show for his opening monologue. It was, it was the height of parody because it was so nuanced and amazing. And then he, they, they did a parody later of, um, Dead Poet Society, which some people are calling an all-time great SNL skit called Farewell, Mr. Bunting. And then you get Weekend Update, and it's basically just a young white guy and a young black guy making jokes about people that don't agree with them politically. And they bring on this character played by Kenan Thompson, and they basically call him an Uncle Tom to his face. You know, they basically go, Mm. if you're not into our social justice, Black Lives Matter thing, then you're basically a white man's black man. And, like, the audience that already agrees with them is probably going to find that funny. They're parodying that 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 kind of a person. But everyone else is either, A, not going to get it, or, B, be offended by it. And I think it's shown how if you're really – if you craft parody well, like SNL has done in bits and pieces over the years, even the people who like the thing that you're making fun of will get something out of it. But if you're – doing it kind of sloppily or doing it in kind of a, Oh, look how dumb this is. Look how right I am. Um, I think that that's a cheaper form of parody and maybe doesn't even qualify when you're thinking of parodies, when you're thinking of like the best examples of parodies and sort of your definition and what makes a good one, what are some of the things that, that you think about? What are some of the, the examples that you think about? Yeah, they can't be easy. Like you said, you know, like they, the the reason why we can update is so weird now is it's so obviously self-serving in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah. And by a lot of ways, I mean, it's 100% self-serving Yeah, <laughs> that it's not it's parody and satire, which we don't need to really get into like the differences between those. If there are any, if it's not just semantics um, is, they they need to be a little bit thought-provoking. They're intelligent forms of humor. And that doesn't mean what they parody has to be highbrow, but it needs to at least be clever, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I think step one for me, a good parody has to introduce something that's either a clever observation or an accurate observation or an accurate description, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. So a really good example for me um, is, I don't know if you remember when Andy Samberg, when he was on SNL, did um, a parody of Beyonce's Single Ladies Mm -hmm. video. Yep. So him and... Justin Timberlake. And Bobby Moynihan. Yeah. Is that the other guy? Yeah. They, like, got in their little, the Beyonce leotards... And it was in black and white. And I think maybe they did like the first 15 seconds of the video's choreography. Yep. And then it just devolved into like men in leotards. Ha! Or like, I don't yep. really know what the joke was. But there was definitely... it. I'm bringing this up because for me, that parody was a bad parody. Or at least not a very funny parody. Because what... what was even the point. Do you know do you know what I'm saying? It would have been funny if 
they learned the whole dance. Yeah. If Bobby Moynihan could do the entire single ladies dance exactly like one of Beyonce's background dancers, not only would I be impressed, but it would be hilarious to yep. see that happen. Yeah. Seeing them lazily kind of, you know, stumble through it, it's just, there's no effort into it. So I guess maybe not cleverness, but definitely effort. Is, am I making sense? I feel like I feel like I'm trying to say what I'm trying to say. Yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like you're saying the closer you can get to at least certain elements of something that that took someone else hard work to do, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The better the parody is going to be because you're not doing a sloppy version of it. You're doing an exaggerated version or a version that. If you're going to critique something, this has always been my problem with with criticism, and I don't want to do a whole podcast on criticism, but if you're going to critique something, I want to know that you are at least almost as talented or almost as hardworking or almost as thoughtful as the person that you're critiquing. Yes. And I think that's part of parody. Like You want to know that the people put blood, sweat, and tears into their parody because, and you talk about this a lot, if not, then it's just cheap. Mm-hmm. And I think like cheapness is something that you and I see everywhere in culture and we don't value it because uh, think about the word cheap. It's not something that costs anybody anything. Like it doesn't cost you anything to make fun of somebody. Like it doesn't cost you anything just to say that something's stupid. It costs you something to put together something that's really thoughtful and close in some aspect closely mirrors the thing. Uh, that you're parodying and I would I would Mm -hmm. I would set before you an example of the first few times that Andy Samberg and Lonely Island did like a a rap video parody just the production value and the people they had come on that were real rappers or like T-Pain in the 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 sets and the just everything about them told you, wow, these guys really went out of their way to make something great, even though it's something that's silly, even though it's something that's kind of making fun of rap videos. Um, they they put the effort out there, and it and it's something worth doing. And I, mm-hmm. I think that's... I think, for me, that clues you into how thoughtfully some someone has gone about making a parody. If someone just kind of says that something's stupid, I don't... Really find well, do, do you have like a, a maybe a well-known, super concrete example of a parody that you find flawless, <clears throat> or not flawless, but just like one that you, like you said, like the effort was there, the skill was there. Um, I remember <clears throat> on Saturday Night Live. Sorry that we're still in this universe. I'm sure we'll we'll transition out of it soon. I mean. Th- I want to say two-thirds of their skits are parodies. Yeah. So obviously we're going to talk about it. <clears throat> yeah, on SNL, um, they did this Dora the Explorer uh, parody called, like, Maraca or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, exactly like Dora the Explorer. Like, the little cartoon girl talked to the audience. The animation was on the same level of <clears throat> as Dora the Explorer she was saying things in different languages, but then t- like towards the end, she gets really belligerent with the children. Mm-hmm. She just starts like, cause Dora the Explorer, she's like, say this word. And then the kids are supposed to say it cause it's supposed to be interactive. 
And they just took that idea, that, um, among maybe one or two other small elements of the parody, they took the idea that a cartoon character is telling your children to do things, and they pushed it to the nth degree. And I, I just found that very artful and mm -hmm. very thoughtful because they're basically saying, you're putting your kids in front of this TV show because you want them to learn things, and they are, but also you're just training them to do whatever a cartoon character tells them to do. Like, as if that's a real person who has authority in their lives, and that's kind of a funny idea. I mean, I would say the one that sticks out to me the most in my current life, actually there's two, um, are Portlandia and Silicon Valley. Mm. Um, and I could throw in Veep as well, but it's less parody and more just about the characters. But Portlandia and Silicon Valley take two cultures that are supposedly hip, cool, you know, people are making money or they're being bohemian, people are doing amazing things in the Pacific Northwest and in San Francisco, and everybody's like, yeah, this is cool. And then Fred Armisen and uh, Mike Judge and their teams, respectively, for Portlandia and Silicon Valley, they just they just deconstruct the whole culture. And they find hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things about these cultures that are hilarious, that are either absurd or don't make any sense or are hypocritical or aren't what they appear to be. And it doesn't seem like they're doing it out of a sense of meanness, like, I hate Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley mm -hmm. has done some great stuff for all of us. Like, this podcast wouldn't be happening without Silicon Valley for many reasons. And Portland is a great place that Fred Armisen really loves. He loves the culture there. But they're able to take these really nuanced cultures and they're able to unpack them. And they're able to really point out the things about these cultures that maybe we don't realize are kind of funny or stupid or hilarious. Mm -hmm. I would point it back to you. What in your life right now is a parody that you are really enjoying or something that is the kind of the height of, of the art for you? Um, have you seen the, it's a series of YouTube videos called don't hug me. I'm scared. No. And I, uh, three days ago from when we're recording this, uh, the final episode, six episodes in total, the final episode came out and I watched it last night and then it was so good that it made me watch all of them. And basically the premise is it's kind of like a Sesame street type puppeting thing where there's like a yellow dude mm -hmm. who's kind of Bert and Ernie esque mm -hmm. and a big red dude and a little bird person. Mm -hmm. And the first episode opens with them like sitting at a table in this notebook springs to life and sings a song about being creative mm -hmm. and like as the song goes on it becomes very very demanding <laughs> you know like they'll be like well i want to make this green and it's like green's not a creative color <laughs> and like it gets to the point where it has these really like psychedelic horrific like rotting meat like images like flashed into it and each episode deals with like there's one where like a clock comes alive and they like age and die together <laughs> and like one with a computer and one with this bug that's obsessed with like sexuality basically. And none of them are really like 
perverse. And the final episode ends with like basically the main character sitting in a bed and the other two people are just gone. So who knows what happened to them? And like his night lamp comes alive and starts singing about, you know, how good dreams are and how you can have a bad dream where you drown in oil. And he starts like drowning in this pit of oil and saying like, I don't want to hear any more songs and stuff like this. And it flashes forward to like the red guy in an office, like a modern corporate office being asked to file things. (laughs) And it's just like this really weird. And if you really like look into it, it's like, a you know, supposedly they all represent different things. And the production value is amazing. I very highly recommend everyone to watch Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. Um, but it's just such a good parody of these, of how knowledge, especially growing up, is put in these really positive terms. But so you would some, say it's a parody of, like, like these, these, like, educational... Yeah, shows. It's it's a great parody because it's double layered. So the, mm-hmm. on the first layer, uh, in the medium it's parodying, it does a really good job. Like things are colorful. They're mm-hmm. the cute little puppets. Mm-hmm. So Everyone it looks like, like Sesame Street. Yeah, it looks like it could be like a Russian Sesame Street mm-hmm. like knockoff, basically. But on the second layer, it also kind of brings to light what we were talking about earlier. It kind of highlights the fact that sometimes life's lessons are really not great. Yeah, they're not fun. Learning's not fun. Yeah, part of adulthood is learning things you probably didn't want to learn. Yeah. And learning, and but they still keep it, like, couched in this, like, hilarious, fun, sing-songy type thing. Mm -hmm. And it's just an amazing parody. They did... the last episode, the production value, the score even, is so well done that I was like, wow, this is crazy. <laughs> like, this is so, someone put so much effort into this. And it's, and it's really good. It's, it's a really good, really good parody. <clears throat> that brings up a question for me. Mm-hmm. So what's the relationship between, like what we said before, where like the Bobby Moynihan actually learning the dance? Mm-hmm. The kind of accuracy and putting in like the hard work to make something really, really like something like mm-hmm. um, you and I before I've talked about Weird Al Yankovic and uh, just how how similar the songs that he writes are to the ones that he's parodying and how he puts in such a level of detail and the internal rhyming and everything's there like he's he's really doing that part of it where you really want it to resemble something else. But then there's this other element that seems like it has the opposite impetus where something like Tim and Eric, Mm -hmm. like they're obviously their whole thing is a parody of television culture and reality TV show and commercials and just video life, you know, like digital (laughs) video life. And, but they kind of seem like they, pick one or two things to get really close and then blow up the other kind of aspects so that it's so, it's so extended. It's so overextended. It's so exaggerated (laughs) for you. What are the, like, what's the relationship between the completely absurd over the top exaggeration part of parody and the really accurate kind of trying to get as close as possible to the real thing 
element yeah. of parody. So I have a little pet theory, and maybe you can concur or maybe go bleh. Right. Um, I'll do one of those things. Okay. <laughs> accurate, super accurate parodies are only good when they reverse a certain expectation about what's being parodied. Mm -hmm. So that's Bobby Moynihan, a kind of chubby yep. white dude learning Beyonce's dance flawlessly mm -hmm. is like a nice reversal of, Oh, well he, sh that's not something a, anyone really wants to see mm -hmm. and B, but it's funny that he can put on that role if he really wanted to. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so those are both funny <laughs> or accurate descriptions can be good when they show you certain cliches that are so prevalent that it's mind-blowing. So when you see, I don't know if you watch, there's like a sketch comedy group called, uh, oh my gosh, I just forgot what they're called. It's the Harvard. It's not kids, yacht. It's not kids in the hall. No, no, no. It's the, the group of the people is like the Harvard boating club or something like that. It's like a, it's basically just like a sketch comedy troupe. Okay. And they are, got a little bit of viral famous for doing these skits called boys will be girls and girls will be boys where they get all their male cast members to like go out and and do a scene where they're in a bar and they're all talk they are using tropes that would normally come out of women's mouths yeah are like when they call their girlfriends their girlfriends act like what guys are like typically act like yeah and so it's kind of funny reversing the gender stereotypes yeah, yeah, and it's kind of funny, but it gets really funny on a, a couple of their skits because they do things that I never notice that a lot of girls I know do, and that's when the accuracy is is funny. So on the other end, on the Tim and Eric end, on the exaggeration end, the exaggeration is necessary for critiquing and parroting things that are so subterranean are yeah. so like embedded in and they're in the certain... air they're in the air yeah. so yeah so that's a really good theory yeah. so yeah you have to exaggerate certain things that we all take for granted like mm -hmm. like you know uh i saw a parody video once of jj abrams movies with the like just over the top lens flares because mm -hmm. like he jj abrams just loves lens flares mm -hmm. um and so that kind of thing either you notice it or you don't but if you're going to parody it a lot of people haven't noticed it, so you have to make it really, really obvious. Like, hey, we're doing this thing. We're showing you this thing that you thought was obvious, that you didn't even think about it was so obvious, but we're exaggerating it. And on the other hand, the accurate detail part of it seems to be pointing out, um, like you said, the reversal of things. So being really, 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 really accurate, except for one thing like hey this looks exactly <laughs> like Beyonce's video only Bobby Moynihan's there instead of Beyonce yeah because it's like oh because it messes with your head there's like that little bit of this is weird which makes it funny in yeah. a lot of ways and Portlandia and Tim and Eric also do that with those they'll do like a really accurate parody of something whether it's like hikers or upper middle class Portlandia couple going to dinner. Yeah. But then they'll add this like freakish 
um, zoom in scene of like someone moaning. You know what I mean? Those like types of yeah, yeah, hyper awkward, just gross or not gross, but just strange things. And I think those are to just highlight again even more subterranean things because like Tim and Eric. When they show crowds of people at game shows or sporting events or at a women's talk show, whatever they're parroting, they'll like zoom in on one extra who you know the extra has no idea what's going on whatsoever, who's just like sitting there staring blankly with like an open mouth. <laughs> and they'll just put this voiceover of someone just releasing like a deep, long sigh. And when you watch it, you're like, that's so ridiculous. That's so over the top. No one really does that. But I was watching Dr. Phil with my mom the last time I was at <laughs> home. And for a split second, it like pans to the audience about this new weight loss mega pill or whatever he's peddling. And there's just one lady who's not even looking at the stage. She's just kind of like looking at the floor. And she looks so bored like just out of her mind does not care at all about what's going on and i was like oh i think i rec i think i recognize that because tim and eric made it so obvious for me yeah and if you've ever been part of a studio audience like Mm -hmm. it's not very fun unless it's a really really exciting thing like it's not fun to be part of a studio audience. Like you sit there for so long, and it's like they tell you what to do. Everything's manufactured. So I think Tim and Eric do a really good job with sort of the the crowd manufactured crowd emotions. Um, I think that's something that they Tim and Eric get what television is and how weird it is better than anybody else. I think I think they really bring a level of sophistication uh, in their weirdness to whether it's the form of game show or the form of a commercial or the form of a testimonial mm-hmm. or a talk show. Um, I think they're, they're pretty much near the top in almost every respect of a parody. Another parody that uh, you wouldn't think it's a parody at first, but it, ha- it contains a lot of elements of parody that I've been really enjoying is uh, Rick and Morty. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Rick and Morty, I mean, First of all, meta meta wise, it is a parody. It's a parody of Back to the Future, because um, Morty is like Marty and McFly, and Rick is like Doc Brown. Only it's grandfather and grandson, and instead of just traveling through time, they travel through dimensions and universes. Um, but on top of that, they run into a lot of different tropes. Whether it's a bird person <laughs> or Scary Terry. <laughs> And these characters are parodies of uh, Freddy Krueger and like superheroes and things of that nature. And they really do in this cartoon, uh, Rick and Morty, they really explore a lot of the kind of tropes of action movies and shows and superhero movies and shows and things like dream sequences. And even in the Scary Terry um, episode, they kind of are parodying Inception as well. Um, cause they're going levels and levels and levels through somebody's dream life and it just gets really absurd. And I really appreciate the complexity of the parody because they're kind of doing a parody of back to the future. They're kind of doing a parody of like the Simpsons or, you know, fill in, fill in the blank cartoon show with the dumb mm-hmm. fat dad. Um, 
and they're also doing each episode is in itself normally a parody of something. Um, and by the way, Bobby Moynihan features features on one of the episodes in which there's, uh, you know, Saturday Night Live on in a different universe and Bobby Moynihan's been doing SNL for 27 seasons or something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With a piece of toast. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that Rick and Morty uh, right now is is one of those television properties that I just can't wait for the next season to come out because every episode has something just absolutely incredible in it. And I was going to ask you about this. So if we're, we haven't really carefully defined parody, what are some forms of comedy that you and I would say, well, this is definitely not parody, but you know, what's the delineation? Cause if we make every form of comedy, if we go, Oh, that's parody too, that's parody too. Then really the definition mm-hmm. becomes less and less useful. How would you yeah. delineate like things that are funny things that you really enjoy or elements of things, but things that, no, that's not parody. That's not really, you know, that's not really what we're talking about here. Yeah. As a disclaimer, I would say that I don't think there's ever pure forms of comedy, maybe really old ones, but they, they normally modern comedians mix like you know tons of different yeah. mediums of comedy together. But I think a really good example of that would be long-form character comedy. Yeah. So, like, Arrested Development could be, on a surface level, a parody of the wealthy class of America. And has some minor minor elements of that. Yeah, and there's, like, parody, magician's culture, and, you know, little things like that. But the core element of it is super uh, probably one of the most the greatest examples of long form comedy. Yeah. Because it takes so long for some of their jokes to even you to realize that it's a joke. Yeah. Like it's you know like a season I think the last, of television. <laughs> yeah, like the last season. It's like the first episode doesn't even begin to make any sense until it's all over. Yeah. And it's just stuff like that. And it's also character driven. A lot of the comedy comes from knowing who Michael is, knowing who, you know, the people are. And if there's other forms of comedy that are more character driven, sitcoms are normally almost completely character driven. Character and joke. I mean, mm -hmm. sitcoms, situational comedy. It has nothing to do with parody. Like Friends wasn't parodying anything. Yeah. And it might have moments of like, this side character is the parody of, New York taxi drivers because it's so hard living in a city, being young, whatever. Yeah. But the ninety-five percent of the humor was driven by the characters interacting in the weak situation. So that's a really then, good, that's a really yeah. good answer to the question. So mm-hmm. one form of comedy that's that's almost t- almost completely divorced from parody is character-driven, long-form, internal jokes that develop because because of what's going on, situational comedy, those kinds of comedy, um, which there's tons of, right? There's still like, mm-hmm. like modern family seems to be like the successor to, um, arrested development. Yeah. Well, modern family is a sitcom without a laugh track. So it's yeah. like, yeah, it, that's, the, that's how they modernized it for us. Yeah. And, and it's single cam rather than multicam. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think other forms, yeah, at the most, 
um, which I don't, there's not a lot of good plastic humor out there in the world, but sometimes it can be really funny. Yeah, there are um, some just like, look how physically, I mean, I think the person who's probably doing physical comedy just the best right now, and physical comedy I think is limited in some ways, but uh, mm-hmm. Melissa McCarthy, the way she uses her body in mm-hmm. in very, in, in, in a couple of different ways actually, you think, oh, she's doing fat jokes, but she's doing like, sensuality sometimes sometimes she's doing hyper violence sometimes she's <laughs> she, she she does a lot of really interesting things with her body and i think body comedy is limited and chris farley was like the king of body comedy and he hated it yeah. uh, he hated yeah. the fact that that's what he was doing but but there are people who do body comedy really really well even like if you watch silicon valley some of the characters the way they use their bodies like uh, like Richard Hendricks, the the main guy who who I've seen do improv. Um, Richard Hendricks is the character name. the The guy's name is Tom Middleditch. He uses his body as this like rag doll. He's like mm-hmm. one of those. He's like one of those um, wacky, waving, inflatable, arm flailing tube men. Yeah. He, well, Chris. Yeah, Chris Pratt in um, Parks and Rec is a great example of like subtle body humor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just using your body. And that's not really parody. That's just like, that's just, that's a different form of, you know, the mm-hmm. human experience. And uh, Melissa McCarthy, like I said, is doing it really well. Um, anybody who can really like perfect a slouch, um, just different kind of communicating different kinds of things through different kind of body movements. Those are kinds of comedy mm-hmm. that are, are cleanly delineated from parody. Yeah. So whether it's character driven, situational, body humor, slapstick. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't even gotten to my two favorites yet. What Ryan. are your two? Fa- what are your two favorites? My two f- absolute favorite forms of comedy are a absurdism. Yeah. So that's like that's why Kristen Wiig was like such a breath of fresh air in that era of SNL for me yeah. because it was so parody focused. Yeah. I felt like like there was so much emphasis on like we all know. <laughs> That yep. race relations are in a weird place, am I right? And that was like every skit. And then Kristen Wiig would do like, I'm on a stage and I have baby doll hands <laughs> and uh. like are like I'll just create a character that's just <clears throat> weird. Yeah. Which I feel like in the nineties with like Mike Myers and those people and even Will Ferrell, they did a really good job at like making just weird characters yep. that were like Maybe pseudo parodies, but we're in all honesty, we're just strange people. Yeah, and they took on a life of their own. You weren't yeah. always you weren't always thinking, oh, this is kind of like this real person. Mm-hmm. They just kind of breathed, and I I love that. I love that kind. And then also, I, I wanted to talk about this because this gets really close to parody is observational humor. Yeah. So this is like opening monologues mm-hmm. for late night. Uh, talk show. Well, and it's a lot of stand-up comedy. I mean, Jerry, Sein- Jerry Seinfeld is the mm-hmm. king of this. Um, just pointing out the weirdness of life through telling, mm-hmm. tell, it's a, through through just observing facts about it. Yeah, and it's more. It's the, I think the difference between an observational comic and someone who's doing a parody is that the observational comic is. I know this sounds pretty tautological, but it's he's not he or she isn't engaging in imitation and i think that's a key point of parody is that the accuracy that we talked about earlier is a key factor because 
if you're not accurately imitating it, if you're not participating in it, if you're trying to parody Paula Dean and you don't know how to do a Southern accent and you don't have a white wig on, mm-hmm. then like you, you would be better off just doing observational comedy about Paula Dean. Yeah. You, you know notice I mean? like Jerry Seinfeld yeah. doesn't try to do voices. Yeah. Like guys like, like Jimmy Fallon and, other people like that can do a lot of great voices. Like Jimmy Fallon can literally sound exactly like Neil Young mm-hmm. or Bruce Springsteen and dress himself up like them and look like, like eerily similar to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he can do that. But someone like Jerry Seinfeld or Chris Rock, they're not going to really do that because they, they don't imitate people. They simply point out things about them. So they're doing like a third person. It's kind of like parody and observational humor for me are like the first person and third person perspectives. Mm-hmm. Like the first person. Sorry. sorry. Thanks everyone. Going off. Thanks everyone. Um, so the first person's perspective is parody because you're actually doing it from the perspective of the person who you're parodying. But the mm-hmm. third person perspective observational comedy is you're just kind of pointing out some things that are interesting or funny or surprising. Yeah. And that version parody relies on, how accurate you're doing, you know, how, how well and true to form you're being, but observational humor relies on, uh, wittiness. It's like a verbal, like Jerry Seinfeld wouldn't be funny if he was just like, you know, airplane food is bad. You know, he has to bring, he has to through language, get you to understand why these things are ridiculous for him. Yeah, and, and I would say, like, there's a lot of overlap and kind of bleeding of categories here, but it seems like stand-up comedians and observational humor, that's more of a writer's, not that there's not performance, there is performance, but that's more of a writer's medium. And then on the other hand, uh, parody seems like more of an actor's medium, where because the performance matters. You have to actually be a talented mm-hmm. performer in order to parody something. Yeah, you definitely, parody requires a lot more production value, for sure. At least we can say that. Yeah, so it seems like one is more of a writer's medium, the other one is more of a performance medium. For sure. So, this is going to be a little bit of a shorter podcast um, this week. We gave about an 80-minute podcast last week, so we're just kind of balancing the skills of justice here. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to talk about parody cause we love it. And we wanted to suggest some of our favorite parodies. So let's go back before we leave and just, just right now, give your top three or your top five recommendations for people who want to really get into parody right now. Um, if you have a lot of time, venture bros, yeah. um, is a parody of superheroes, super villains, Boy Adventurers, literally it's a parody of Johnny Quest, yeah. but it expands off of that in a hundred different ways. Um, I don't want to steal your thunder. No, 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 here. you can go. I'll let you, because I have so, so many. Um, I really, like I said before, I can't get Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared out of my mind. It's okay. just so well done, and watching all of them back to back will literally take less than 40 minutes. So it's so Venture Super Bros, good. don't hug me, I'm scared. And if you haven't done it in a while, go back and listen to Running With Scissors by Weird Al Yankovic because He's so good. It's, it's good. 
It's He's like so good. It's campy. It's corny. It's very lowbrow. But the amount of technique this person has is insane to me. Insane to me. So those would be my top three. Those, right are, those are good. Yeah, I would choose one. Do you do you really want to see the the underbelly of Silicon Valley or of the Pacific Northwest? If it's Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. watch Silicon Valley HBO. Uh, if it's the Pacific Northwest, Portlandia. Um, another one I didn't talk about that's really good. It's there's not a lot of episodes out yet. Uh, there's a there's like one season I think it's um, mm-hmm. documentary now. Oh yeah! Oh my god, that's <laughs> so good. It's it is it is Bill Hader and Fred Armisen and friends just destroying the medium of documentary film. Just mm-hmm. it's so the self the self importance of documentary oh, film. It's so incredible. Um, and just as an aside, this isn't on my official list, but watch the Fred Armisen episode of SNL, um, mm-hmm. this, the season finale, there's two or three really, really, really great parodies that he, that he's a part of, and then watch how much better they are than the other skits and the other, like in weekend update in particular. Um, and I would say thirdly, right now I would have to go Rick and, Rick and Morty, uh, Rick and Morty mm-hmm. because it's so multifaceted. There's so many different forms of parody going on. Um, and if you want to throw back, go back and watch the SNL parody debates between uh, Al Gore and George W. Bush uh, starring uh, Will Ferrell and Daryl Hammond. They're, the, for my money, the best political uh, parody. Oh, and something we totally forgot to mention. And these guys are probably the kings of straight up sketch comedy parody right now, uh, although they just retired from it, are Key and Peel. Mm-hmm. Key and Peel do some really, really great work, and their production values through the roof. And not everything they do is parody, but um, they do enough of it to make it worth your time. So those would be the ones I would point out. Any final thoughts? Yeah. Any final thoughts, Nick? I don't know. I love parody when it's done well, and for some reason, I have an irrational hatred of it when it's done poorly. Like I was so mad about the Beyonce single ladies thing when it came out when I was in high school. Because so many people are like, this is so good. And I'm like, no, it's it's really not. Like, it's stupid. It's just cashing in on pop culture. It's not yeah. adding anything to it. Yeah, I don't think you appreciate laziness in, in comedy. No. You're willing to work hard for the laughs. I don't want the teehees. By the way, Nick was in a parody in high school. A play about a play. Yeah. And it was very funny. What was it called? Lights Off? I actually, someone was asking me what it was called yesterday, and I can't. I still can't remember. No, it's 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 the it's not noises noises off. No, no. is it lights on? Play on, play on, play on, it's play on, play on, play on, play on. And it was actually really funny. And Nick, just as a short kind of exit story, Nick was doing literally a parody of himself because he was playing a guy who was who had a very painful ailment and, and he was very medicated and Nick himself had a very painful ailment and was medicated at the time. So he was playing a version of himself in a play about a play. And it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And that's when I knew I'd be a philosophy major. And there you go, that, everyone. That moment forward, Derrida became crystal clear to me. So eventually, Nick, you you do have to live in New York or L.A. again, just so you can do improv comedy again. I think it's part of your destiny. 
Well, Chicago is huge on improv comedy. Second City yeah. is like, I mean, there's a bunch of really great comedians that came out of Second City. And I, I want to say like a fourth of my coworkers slash people I meet, they always are like, I have this improv show. I'm always like, oh, okay, cool. And it's good stuff. Yeah. Stuff, but well, yeah. now you have to go see your coworkers. So we'll uh, oh, yeah. we'll leave it there. Uh, hey guys, we would love any kind of suggestions for episodes that you have. You can tweet at us at the Mean Pod. You can mm-hmm. tweet at Nick Seagraves. You can tweet at Ryan M Huber. Um, you can give us messages on the Facebook uh, sharings or our SoundCloud account. We'd love to hear about what you want to hear about. But for this week, uh, this has been Ryan. And Nick. And you'll hear from us next week. So, bye. Bye. Burr.